So we're back with our second podcast with Orsa Goldstein from Swedish law firm Binger. Today we're talking about the end of employment. Hi Orsa. So my first question for, for this second podcast is, what protections against dismissal do employees enjoy that employers need to be aware of? Yes, so hi and thank you. Nice to be back. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a, a topic that is perhaps uh, most discussed and also most important uh, when you would do business in Sweden and especially hire people in Sweden. Because when someone is employed on an indefinite term employment, uh, the employer can only terminate the employment agreement by legal grounds, so legal objective grounds. And these are uh, either redundancy or personal grounds. But the personal grounds uh, area are quite limited in or or are a difficult area to be successful with as an employer. While redundancy uh, has a formal process, but is in itself quite easy uh, relatively to other countries. To it is the employer's decision to 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 make changes in the organization. Um, yeah that sounds i think similar to what we have over here so in the uk um employees with over two years service have protection against what we call unfair dismissal and that means that there are limited circumstances in which a termination can be made and the employer usually needs to go through a, a fair process as well as having a fair reason if employers get that wrong, then compensation is capped for that claim at the lower of one year's salary or around £90,000. But because of that cap, we commonly see employees bringing claims for um, discrimination or, or very commonly now whistleblowing, um, which takes that, that compensation cap off. Do, do you have similar unfair dismissal laws in Sweden and also are you seeing the same issue at all with discrimination claims being made in Sweden? So I would say that it is actually the opposite in Sweden uh, so even though damages are capped for unfair dismissal but the the if you have been worked for uh, 10 years or longer the, the capped fee, the capped damages are 32 monthly salaries. So that's a lot. Uh, while discrimination claims have so far not been that expensive to employers. And we we have a sort of a, in Sweden or under Swedish law uh, based on sort of uh, our, our court system, perhaps we have a a restriction or a restrictive vision on on um, uh, on high damages. So, so typically, damages would be seen as something you get for for your losses or for the damage you've actually suffered. Uh, so, you can't really be the um, uh, sort of the infringement of being harassed or discriminated against. Uh, isn't isn't compensated that well uh, so they, it is in the preparatory work for for the discrimination act it actually says that it should cost employers to discriminate 
but really in in real life and in in the in court uh, cases it, it doesn't really cost employers to discriminate so this is or this will become an, an interesting topic for the future because i'm not sure uh, everyone have heard about that but uh, in sweden it has so far not it is, has been possible for an employer to confirm a claim of in uh, of discrimination by confirming the amount of uh, that is claimed so for example 25 swedish kroner so perhaps like 200 pounds or something or oh, sorry 2000 pounds um and then sort of be good uh, contrary to what the eu directive has has ha, has had as, as an intention that uh, the employer should actually or the employee should actually be be compensated for discrimination so what the discrimination ombudsman has has been claiming and and also has had been successful in, in the european court is that um it there might be a necessity for the employer to actually confirm that someone was discriminated uh, not only paying the low damages that are applicable in sweden now so this was a very long long description but uh to explain that it's quite different <laughs> okay so, so it sounds like the because your cap is so high so 30 i mean 32 months yeah. pay is, a, is a significant amount of money because of that you're not necessarily seeing discrimination claims come through because because there's not really any financial compensation that attaches to that but as i understood that the the, the way of dealing with that is to have the um the employers um accepting or or confirming that they have discriminated against somebody which i suppose has a a knock-on um pr impact for them as they're, they're exactly the discriminating employer that that's an interesting interesting way of dealing with it yeah perfect um and uh, so next question is um uh, so in the UK, separate to the unfair dismissal um, legislation, um, employers can terminate for cause. Um, so they can dismiss immediately if for an, an employee is guilty of kind of gross misconduct. Do you do you have similar provisions um, in Sweden? Yes. Uh, so so with notice, uh, it is requested required to have legal grounds uh, or legal objective grounds as redundancy of personal reasons, and and then it is also possible for the employer to terminate without notice if there is a gross misconduct yeah great is there a process that you need to follow to get to that point um sort of to prove the misconduct yeah i mean we don't have a statutory process before the actual notification so there is sort of a an obligation to inform the employee that we intend to terminate your employment with or without notice. So with notice, there's a two weeks period and without notice, it's a one week period in, in uh, during which it, the intention is that the employee and or its trade union uh, is entitled to have sort of a discussion or consultation regarding the reasons, so, uh, reasons to terminate. And this is only if, if there's a personal reasons termination or a uh, immediate termination and so before that there's no statutory process but case law says that when an employer is 
will or wants to terminate an employment due to uh, personal reasons with notice, the employee must sort of, or the termination cannot be a surprise to the employee, basically. So there must be a reprimand letter or a warning letter, whatever you choose to call it, but in which is it is very, made very clear to the employee that this isn't acceptable and we expect you to do these and th this and these improvements. And if you don't, we might end up in a termination of your employment. So having given that, uh, and then depending on the position and the, the reasons for the warning, uh, then there will be a certain period thereafter before the employer could notify the employee of, of a term termination. Okay, thank you. Um, so here, here in the UK, we've got the unfair dismissal um, sort of legis legis legislative process. And then on top of that, an employer needs to comply with the contract of employment in terminating employment. So that usually requires notice to be given, but the contract might give the employer the right to place the employee on garden leave or to, to terminate with immediate effect and pay in lieu of notice. Do you have the same or similar concepts in Sweden? Uh, I mean, yes and no. So, so payment in lieu of notice is not possible without this explicit agreement with, with the employee. So I would say that in 99.9% of, of a termination case, uh, the, the employment will carry on or will continue during the notice period. And uh, as a main role or as a starting point, it is possible for the employer to put the employee on garden leave, but garden leave isn't sort of a statutory concept. So uh, there are, I mean, there could be a lot of regulations or, uh, or a complete section in an agreement from UK regarding garden leave, while in, in a Swedish employment agreement, we might say just that the employer is it's possible for the employee to release the employee from uh, working during the notice period, basically, because that is what it means. Um, so putting someone on garden leave will not be uh, attached to further regulation. So anything the employer wants to be uh, applicable during that garden leave period must be specified either in the contract or agreed with the employee uh, at the time of termination, basically. That makes sense. And actually, that's broadly similar here. So right. we need to have the contractual right to put them. Well, in most cases, we need to have a contractual right to put them to be on garden leave. And often our contracts will have fairly detailed provisions on what the employee can and can't do during those periods. Yeah. Um, and next, um, are there any groups of employees who have special protection against dismissal? Not, I mean, Yes, there's one <laughs> special protection group, and that's trade union representatives in a, in a company with collective bargaining agreement. Uh, and we'll come back to that perhaps um, later on in our discussion, but um, not all companies have collective bargaining agreements and, and not all companies with a collective bargaining agreements have local trade union representatives. But if there are, and there is a redundant determination process, they, any trade union rep in the company will be exempted or prioritized, if you like, um, uh, in a redundancy uh, or, or from, uh, from termination. 
Um, otherwise, uh, there's no protection, but it might, might be valuable to mention that employees on parental leave, um, they can still be or should be, if they are subject to a termination under uh, as, uh, due to redundancy, they should uh, still be given notice at the same time as anyone else, but the notice period will not start running until uh, the employee is planned to be back from the parental leave. That's interesting, and that, that's definitely different to what we have uh, in the UK. Yeah. I suppose staying with that collective bargaining works councils, do, do employers need to involve works councils or other employee representative bodies when they're considering dismissing an employee then? Uh, yes. Um, however, in Sweden, we would only talk about trade unions. So there's not really the concept of work councils or representative bodies in that sense. I know there is in, in other European countries, but so trade unions are as a starting point, sort of a, an external organization outside the company whereby employees or in, in which employees can be members. And that membership give the employees a, a legal counsel basically uh, to either discuss with or to uh, be represented, represented by in connection with the redundancy or in connection with a termination due to personal uh, reasons. And the employer's obligation in relation to trade unions are, uh, to summarize, you could say that it is to consult with the trade unions before taking a decision on redundancies or reorganizations, or upon notifying the employee of the intention to terminate with or without notice, it's also an obligation to, to inform the trade union of that intention as well, in order for the trade union to reach out to its member and uh, assist the, the individual in, in the discussions with the employer, basically. But no agreements needs to be reached in terms of those processes. So it's more, it's just a, it's a notification um, process then, yeah. Yeah. Um, the final question in this, in this section. So um, um, what practical steps should employers be thinking about when they're trying to resolve a termination dispute in, in Sweden? So for example, can you offer a severance package in return for the employee waiving their claims under a settlement agreement? Yeah. So. So I think I at least need to need to touch upon uh, the the uh, sort of a very common discussion we have at employers. Uh, it's kind of technical, and I'll try to explain it uh, as easy as I can. But do let me know if it's uh, if you don't understand. But um, so this, if you terminate, if the if an employer terminates an employee due to personal reasons, the employee can claim that that termination is invalid, and during any dispute the employee will be will remain in employment. So for the one or two years that a dispute may carry on, the employee is employed, is actually also entitled to remain in at work if, if the employee doesn't want to be on garden leave during that period. So uh, and that if the employer is successful in the end of that dispute, the employer employee is not forced to pay any salary back during that dispute period. If the employee is successful, then we, I mentioned the 32 monthly salaries, but that is the maximum damages. It could be 
from six months up to 32 months, depending on the length of service at the time of the court's decision. So as you can, if you would summarize all this, it could be like two years of a dispute and then 32 monthly salaries in, in damages. And that's too much if you ask any employer. I mean, that the risk of paying that amount to an employee is of course a reason for uh, the very usual practice to enter into a termination agreement or uh, settlement agreements. Um, the same thing, different names to, to us. Um, and that the employer then offers severance package to the employee um, as a uh, resolving of, of any termination or potential termination issue, dispute or in an actual termination dispute. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Actually, when you started saying that, I was kind of like, employees must always challenge if it's on a personal basis, they must always challenge it unless you've got a settlement agreement. Um, yes, what... basically, unless sort of it's a theft or, you know, really uh, clear cases, but in, in a poor performance case or in those type of more usual circumstances whereby the employee doesn't really have the, the, the perfect fit or the, the best attitude and all of these situations, it, it ends up with the termination agreement, definitely. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, thank you all. So that's been, that's been great. Um, and uh, please join us in the next podcast where we'll be covering um, other key employment law topics in Sweden.